Welcome to the ATG podcast episode one. I am one of your co-hosts, Ben Patrick. I'm Keegan Smith, the other side of the ATG podcast. Excited to be here. Yep. So I run uh, ATG, which is for individuals. Um, Keegan has been my own coaching mentor. Keegan runs ATG for coaches, which is for coaches themselves. So it keeps it really simple. We each run each one. Uh, I think what we both share in common is we're not natural athletes. We've been plagued by a lot of injuries, but now later in life, we're actually getting our best physiques, our most athletic physiques, which is kind of a rare thing. And in my case, yeah, I was just a, a normal shitty, the really the below average guy, the slowest guy, the always injured guy. And now I'm finding, uh, you know, I turned 30 this month and it's like a whole new world. I'm like, you know, freakishly bulletproof and athletic. And I, I mean, I want to be more athletic when I'm 40 than I am now. Um, I'm interested, Keegan, to hear, you know, how old are you and, and where does your athleticism stand and where do you think you're heading? Yeah, so I'm 38. Everyone's heard your story of being told, you know, that you, uh, you're never going to amount to anything in basketball. You're never going to be athletic. My, my version of that was my dad told me, uh, you're never going to be fast, but at least you can work on your endurance if you want to. And my dad actually was wow. like the equivalent of an NFL coach. Like he was a top level rugby coach in Australia. He'd studied uh, physical education. So it was a somewhat educated perspective. He was working with the highest level athletes in Australia. And he said, look, speed's genetic. You're not going to have that. But if you work hard, then you can at least maintain whatever speed you do have. And so uh, that was pretty tough to hear at like 14 when I wasn't making teams because I was too slow. Um, and then, you know, the journey kind of continued from there, but yeah, lots of injuries and, and kind of overcoming those, those challenges is, is my story. And then being a coach, helping others to do it. I think that's the perfect story because that just represents why we're here. Like we're not here for no reason. We're not passionate for no reason. We're passionate. Number one, just to break down the common myths that are actually false. You know, like that's, that's my job. My, my number one job in life is just breaking those myths that are false that are holding people back or making their lives worse so the way we're running this podcast is the first half hour here we're going to cover whatever is like look if this was my last podcast i was ever going to be able to do you're listening to it right now you're listening to what i think is the most pressing thing i could possibly tell you that'll be the first half hour and then the second half hour i will take up a question from individuals and keegan will take up a question from coaches and we'll break that down. So we'll have some congruency there. So I'm taking up the most important topic and then the most important question. And Keegan's going to take up the most important question he's had this week. And we're going to keep this up every week. So the topic today is squat low, jump high, and we're going to break this down. Now, sometimes to teach something that's true, we have to break down something that's not true. So the, the big elephant in the room to me that people are missing out on when it comes to something like, let's say we want to jump higher, is that training to jump higher is what's going to work to jump higher. But statistically, if we look at it, the highest jumpers in the world are natural. And those training in the weight rooms, the hardest are not matching what the best natural athletes have done. Michael Jordan was back to back slam dunk NBA champion before lifting weights. So we're talking about lifting weights in this podcast. We're talking about how to lift weights to jump higher, but the current status quo is that the people lifting weights actually can't do what the best natural athletes can do 
my buddy Marcus has a 48 and a half inch running vertical. All we ever did was just work on his, on his tendons being more bulletproof. Um, we didn't train for it. No one in strength history jumps as high as my buddy Marcus. That's like, that's the big elephant in the room right now. No one in strength history of training for vertical jump jumps as high as my buddy Marcus naturally does. <clears throat> Maybe Keegan can break down, you know, uh, and we're going to, I have seven items on my list. This is only the first item is just getting the untruth out of the way that, that modern training is actually not, we haven't hit the breakthroughs yet for jump training. There's still the, the traditional training, traditional jump training is not actually getting the job done. Yeah. I think there's, there's so much to it in that sense of like it being genetic as well. You know, so it's not genetic and it's not just going to be, uh, down to what you do in the weight room. Like there's something special about what you do in the weight room that is going to either contribute to it or stop you from achieving what you want to do. And, you know, it's also going to make a huge difference, you know, what you're doing on the court. Um, it's not just going to put, you know, people try to put it down to genetics and just say, you know, this person's destined. I'd guarantee you take Usain Bolt, you give him bed rest for two months. He's not fast anymore. You know, you, you, if you put a, a you know, you make him obese or you make, you know, your body uh, uh, obese, then of course they don't jump. So genetically uh, there, there is, it's a factor, but there's so much that we can do to influence this that, you know, I think that that's the important thing, you know, to, to understand. And I, I want to hear from you about, you know, how we're going to influence that. Exactly. Usain Bolt is, he doesn't run on magic. This is in the material universe, everything that he's doing, we can look at and we can see what's different about him and we yeah. can become like him we can become more like Usain Bolt because he is in the physical universe and these are properties of how we adapt our muscles and tendons so so point number one is just to realize that we may in this podcast we may have to throw some past methods out the door which aren't getting the job done now the second point and this is one that I never knew and no one ever taught me is that tendons are stronger than muscles so here's here's the trick when it comes to jumping high your tendons matter more than muscles. Muscles matter, but tendons matter more because tendons are stronger pound for pound than muscles. They're lighter and they require less oxygen, meaning they don't tire out. So a muscle by comparison to a tendon, a muscle would be a heavy, weak, tiresome object, whereas the tendon would be a stronger, springier, lighter, more endurant object. And that's the big one. We're all talking about fast twitch, slow twitch but we haven't met point number one, tendons are stronger than muscles. And, and we'll get more to the fast switch, slow switch, but you have experienced with tendons. You've had different Achilles tendon issues. I had patellar tendon issues. Let's start breaking down tendons versus muscles. That, Cause that's the first one that everyone's just missing. And if you go into the weight room and you're only thinking muscle, you will not achieve your athletic potential. And that's why people are not becoming young Michael Jordans. But I sure as hell am becoming more like a young Michael Jordan because I understand this point. Tendons beat muscles. For yeah, the tendons have to be healthy. And I think a lot of people are pushing, pushing and pushing and pushing in the weight room and on the court. But the thing is, if there's pain there, then you're getting inhibition. Like anyone who's had serious tendon pain knows that the muscles will switch off around that. So you're like basically trying to put water in a bath that's got holes in the bottom of it. You know, it's a sinking ship and you keep trying to, you know, um, bail it out. So 
we have to make sure uh, that we get rid of the pain to be able to really fire the muscles and to be able to you know, turn all that inhibition stuff off to get the most out of the tendons. It's, it's never going to work. And I think we've both had that frustrating experience of like, you know, I'm training so hard, I'm working through all this pain and it's not getting the results that we want. And now, you know, you're seeing the other side of it and so many people around the world are achieving these miraculous results and they're just surprised I think a huge part is just like that inhibition is not there because the pain, uh, you know, um, exactly. loss of muscle tone and things is, is not there. Exactly. Your body's just responding to what you tell it to do. So if your knee hurts when you jump, you're not telling your body to jump higher. You're avoiding your fullest output. Not yeah. to mention tendons have hypertrophy qualities in themselves. You, you can grow and thicken your tendon. Like this is a big deal. 100%. And how you do that, if we look at an Olympic weightlifter or something, I mean, that's, that's all power just as a comparison factor there that how you train for quote unquote, the maximum fast twitch output is not going to be the same thing as how you build a tendon. And when it comes to something like jumping, if you're just trying to turn your weight room exercises into your fast twitch exercises, you're still under the game. The game is tendons. And when you do something like an actual max intensity jump, that's more force on your tendons than trying to just do a one rep max because it's quote unquote fast twitch or trying to lift a lightweight fast because it's quote unquote fast twitch. Plus your sport is then going to cause that influence. So the amount of time we spend, you know, on our bodies, if you then go out and practice jumping every one of those jumps, you know, that you practice, you're putting in that fast twitch ever. So you can convert these fibers and it starts with the tendons. As long as your tendons are weaker than the genetic freak. So if we're taking the genetic freak, what does he have that the shit athlete doesn't? It definitely starts with the tendons. So what is a tendon lift? This is really where people, this is the big stumbling block for people in training. Even once people do get the idea, oh my God, he's got these tendons, you know? So if you try to just match the muscles, you could actually go south and get even less likely to achieve your athletic potential if you're avoiding the tendons. Now, if you try to train the tendons, so, so to me, a tendon lift, like when it comes to the knee, a tendon lift is, is low, you know, squat low and knee over toe. That's a tendon lift. Anything where you're putting the, the very things we're told, oh, squatting all the way down hurts my knee. Knees over toes hurts my knee. Bingo. You just uncovered your athletic potential by realizing those two positions right there. And we have so much history. So, so why don't you break down what is a tendon lift for the patellar tendons? What is a tendon lift for the Achilles tendons? Cause the Achilles doesn't even, you restrict knee over toe. You also restrict your Achilles. You want to manufacture, you want to manufacture Achilles problems, restrict knee over toe. Yeah. The, the essence of this, like, can you look at older guys who snap their Achilles? Like once you go past 40 and you go play a game of tennis or a game of basketball, then you have that statistical risk of, of snapping your Achilles. And it's because the, the position of the stretch and explosive power at the same time has deteriorated. And so, you know, I actually just trained a guy out here in my backyard who's uh, snapped his Achilles just playing uh, Frisbee. And, you know, he, he runs all the time, but he never gets into that under load stretched powerful position so the magic for me the magic of the whole atg system is the sequencing from the the movement that is least uh tendon dominant at least you know tendon challenging exercise with the reverse sled 
and the and the step ups. So you, you get to get a lot of circulation into the area uh, without really challenging the tendon um, at a full stretch. Now the leverage in the poliquin definitely does challenge the tendon, but once you get to something like uh, the human knee extension, the sissy squat, the you know even the split squat, you're getting pulling from both ends. So there's massive connective tissue tension already and then you're applying whatever weight you're applying or leverage you're applying so you got like 80 kilos plus you're already pulling on both ends and that's what it it definitely you know it causes that tendon adaptation i think that's the magic of the atg system that's what i saw in 2018 when i first saw your work i was like you look this is the first time i've ever seen a program that logically sequences this stuff like he's worked out how to get from i can't put any weight on this because it hurts to I can do the freakiest stuff that hurts just looking at it, that people think like, there's no, no way I could ever do that. Like you get those comments, you still get those comments on your posts, right? Like, oh, this makes, this makes me cry just watching it. Like, and, and that's the magic is like this, being able to get to I that exercise. Right? Yeah, yeah. And that's, and you, and you can't really, people say, oh, like just jump your way into it. Anyone who's had the pain knows you're not just gonna jump your way into knee health. <laughs> like that's, that's not gonna work. If you, it's yeah. a critical point. So every time you're working a tendon through pain, you could be causing more damage to that tendon. Every time you're actually putting pressure onto the tendons without pain, well, now you're causing an amount that it's going to be able to come back stronger. So we're going to cover more and more with this, but my, my rule that I use is I use three times a week, I pain-free strengthen my tendons. So three times a week, I'm working knees over toes and or full knee bend, strengthening. I'm developing my tendon. My tendons are probably just a whole lot thicker and stronger now than they once were when I avoided my tendons. And then once a week, it doesn't mean I couldn't do more, but this is just really good rules of thumb. Then once a week, I stimulate what I want. So let's look at this. I jump roped like a, like a mother as a kid. I did so much jump rope and then wondered why I didn't jump high. Well, what did I ask my body to do? I asked my body to jump low. And then I did box jumps like crazy and I still couldn't jump high. But what did I ask my body to do? I asked my body to jump up onto a box. I could barely handle the landing coming down off that box. That's where the tendon get works, gets work. The jump up onto the box is more muscle than tendon. The landing from the box is more tendon than muscle. So I played basketball. It's one thing if you're in a sport like long jump, run straight, jump, you don't even have to land. You get to fall in sand. That is a whole lot different than the rest of us out here playing team sports in real life. We want to dunk, whatever. You have to handle all that force to go up and dunk. So let's break down some outliers. So my buddy Marcus, I mentioned, natural athlete, right? He came into my gym at 42-inch vertical. I helped him get to a 48 and a half just by improving his tendons so that he could go out and jump with less pain. And then when you go out and jump with us pain, now what are you telling your body? Oh, your body's like, oh, you want to jump even higher. Okay, I got you, right? So the most common plyometrics are low jumps a lot of times and box jumps. Neither of those stimulates your tendons and tells your body what you want. You're, you're just not telling your body. So those, I lived it. I did those. So my case is an outlier because we just don't know another case of someone who graduated college played sports, meaning I wasn't just a sedentary person. I graduated college sports and now virtually doubled how high I can jump throughout the age, you know, over the last 10 years of training, you know, beyond my genetics. So this is, it is the, 
in terms of a documented case, it's the greatest jump change from a genetic level. So with Marcus, he could already jump. What he did as a kid doesn't necessarily tell us that that's going to work for us to jump higher because we don't know how much genetics influenced it. Let's break down some other ones. Stefan Holm, why does this matter? Because he has the greatest in the sport of high jump. So high jump is a good sport. Dunking is a sport. Those are two different things. Well, the, the greatest longevity in, in either of those, Stefan Holm and Kadurziani, were both the most knees over toes, full knee bend guys in their sports and had the greatest longevity in the history of their, so that longevity, that tells us something. So we could easily argue in a court of law, okay, full knee bend, knees over toes, gives you a better chance of finding out your true jumping potential, of jumping for longer and of being able to continue to jump high. Kadur's 47 and can dunk at 5'11". Stefan Holm is also like 5'11 and was a gold medalist. And he's in his 40s and he's still, you know, freaky bouncy. And he's still squatting knees over toes and, and deep. So I think now we need to kind of break down this. You know, we look at these two guys and we look at my case and the greatest jump longevity case ever, George Hackenschmidt was a freaking pioneer of knees over toes, full knee bend. And he was jumping until his death at 87. And there's even pictures of him at 75. That's like the latest picture. He's at 75 and he's jumping over a hurdle half his height, 75. So with Amazing, these yeah. four cases, we now have more case precedents for knees over toes and full knee bend. But Let's go over some of the things we did and compare that to like modern methods because modern training is jump low, squat shallow. <laughs> and we're saying squat deep, jump, land high. Squat low, knee over toe, jump and land high. Three times a week, knee over toe and low one time a week high as, as just helpful rules of thumb. It's just, a, it's a simple thing. I think like people, it's, it's very easy to get confused because there's so much information out there. There's so many, you know, there's these 12 week studies that say this and that we're talking about people who've done it for decades. You know, we're talking about people doing this long-term and making huge change. One way to think about this guys is we're training you to absorb more force. So when you're going down slowly in your sissy squat or in your ATG split squat, you're absorbing force into the tendon. Now, because we've got a controlled load and we're adding weight, that's how we get the tension. And then gradually we absorb that force faster and the tension gets higher and higher, but we're progressing the tension so logically from slow to fast, from light to heavy, but that tension that you can get through the loaded movements just has massive therapeutic effect. And, you know, it goes back to a uh, hundred years ago, people knew this in strength. Like you can look at the old manuals and you will see, you know, getting people back to, to their best after uh, military parades, etc. you know, they, they use these kind of techniques. I've got one case study I'd like to share a little bit of as well, Ben, because I think it's a nice outlier, Trey yep. Williams. So he ran 10, 10 uh, as a young kid. Yeah. Yeah. So he's, I think it was, I think he's five, six uh, and he ran 10, 10. So he may be the fastest you know, five, six person in, in the world. Um, he probably has and, the fastest turnover in history at five, six or one of them. It's, 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 it's phenomenal. And he, he basically biggest discovered history, biggest VMOs in 100 meter history. And, and, and I think it's important because not everybody is Usain Bolt's build. And then people are trying to extrapolate all this stuff from this guy with these huge long levers and say, Oh, he's not that muscular and such bring this down, bring this down. Let's take it to the other extreme. How do you get crazy fast when you're short? Well, 
as you get shorter, the muscle mass component has to get bigger because the tendons aren't as long and you don't have those massive long levers. And so the muscles will play a bigger role. And the more contact you bring into the sport and the more contact time, the more muscle we're going to have to bring into the equation. And, you know, the research is clear that 100 meter sprinters that run 10, 10, 1, you know, 10, 2 have a lot more muscle mass than the guys who run 11, 1, 11, 2. So there is something to their patellar tendons, their Achilles yep. tendons. So when we when we build strength in those areas, so you can grow the VMOs and grow the hamstrings and grow the soleus, you know, because I was a I was a chicken leg, you know, always wore long pants to the gym kind of guy. And now I have like average leg. Like my average legs now are like I'm living the dream, you know, but it's only the muscles are only going to change more, but the way I'm building those muscles is very tendon dominant. So I think that's I think that's the point we're trying to get to is whether you need to be an NFL linebacker, like LeBron James, ton of muscle mass, but still tendon dominant. You see what I mean? So we want to build Usain Bolt, LeBron James. People are going to have different sizes. LeBron is, is very thick with muscle. A young Michael Jordan was much leaner, but young Michael Jordan still had veins running down his VMOs. I had a cardboard cutout as a kid, and I couldn't figure out what the heck these veins were on these on his thighs. Anyways, um, and and – Look at the old pictures. Remember that picture I post all the time of Michael Jordan's like whole lower calf area? Unbelievable. Insane dorsiflexion. So in fact, the amount we can dorsiflex influences how much we can then adapt to those tendons. It doesn't mean everyone has great dorsiflexion, but Stefan Holm had great dorsiflexion. My friend Marcus actually has amazing dorsiflexion. Where you start doesn't tell the tale. How you're able to change things, that tells us a lot more about the tail. I mean, anyone worried about getting ankle mobility, look at, you know, Kadur Ziani, you know, he argues also highest vertical jump ever in his prime. If you look at it, he was near like a 50 inch vertical, insane ankle mobility. I mean, the guy can kick the rim, like insane flexibility. So we're juggling a lot of factors. We're juggling a lot of factors. Our job here is to simplify it down. So what I've got so far, and I'm almost done with what I had on my list. What I've got so far is that tendons are stronger, lighter, more endurant than muscles, right? Michael Jordan dunking in the fourth quarter, he was jumping just as high as the first quarter, right? And that's what I've felt. You've been with me to the basketball court and I play and whatever, and then I want to stay and dunk after and, and, and more of my guys training this way versus someone new who wants to sit down at the end. We feel bouncier. We want to keep jumping because we're becoming more tendon dominant. So that's all we're talking about here is that if we're just trying to mimic a half squat and just think about the muscle side of it, we could be holding ourselves back. If I was given, if, if the commissioner of the NBA said, Ben, I just need one exercise for the entire NBA. You only get one exercise for the whole NBA. What would it be? 20 rep VMO squats. Like, wait a second. That's not fast twitch. What about the fast twitch? 20 rep VMO squats because it's one of the most tendon dominant exercises and guys who start out with knee pain, they can't even do perfect form with their own body weight yet, but it regresses down. So that's why I would say that one, because I, every Friday I work on my VMO squat every Wednesday. I work on my ATG split squat every Monday. I work on my knee over toe, meaning like reverse step up type stuff. And I follow that with reverse Nordics, which then gets the full stretch. So I'm still, that's what I do. I'm going to do that for life, but the reverse Nordics, the step-ups, the split squats, way more form coaching. And I don't trust NBA strength coaches to coach that form. But with the VMO squat, it's harder to mess up. And whether you like it or not, 
it's not a heavy loaded exercise. So you can't really fuck it up and you have the slant board. So you just go through it. If I would have just known about that, thank God I didn't, because if I would have only known about that, there wouldn't have been an ease over toes guy because I would have been a fabulously successful basketball player with no knee problems. That alone could completely change sports. But the status quo is a box squat for like three reps fast or something. We're missing out that the tendon is senior to the muscle. And so a 20 rep, then go play your sport. We're talking 20 reps. Let's say you do five sets of 20 reps once a week. How much time is that under tension? How much time is your sport under tension? What's the difference in a body type between a hundred meter sprinter and a marathon runner? Look at the time. We have to not think about a training program and just look at our body. Our body only knows the actual actions we're put. Our body doesn't have feelings about it. So if you spend five hours on the court and five minutes doing VMO squats, you can see that trying to do a fast twitch lift in the gym has so little to do with the amount of adaptation going on in your sport. And if someone was bulletproof enough to do a one rep max VMO squat or this or that or whatever, well, that's awesome too. I work it for five reps by the end of the cycle. So I finish my year working it for five reps. You see what I mean? So now it's very fast twitch and I'm adding bands to the bar. So we're not negating anything that is proven, but we are having to pave a better way. And that's why if this was the last podcast I ever did, and if people understood that concept, that by starting over at only what they can do pain-free, that's the trick with the tendons, is pain-free, knees over toes, all the way down. What can you do there that's going to unlock your athletic potential? And that I know from training NBA and NFL and MLB guys and finding out what they're doing. They are not doing it. It's not there in pro sports. It's missing and then because we're copying the top, it's missing at the lower level. So people like me are winding up with knee surgeries when living proof, I could have been dunking. I could have been dunking from simple training, not from having to go heavier or this or that. I could have been dunking when I was 18. Instead, I spent most of 18 on a fucking walker because my knee surgeries were so bad. They were so gnarly and so bad that even by knee surgery standards, I, I was on a, a walker for most of 18. I could have been dunking. That's my, that's my conclusion. Yeah. We're going to wrap this up. Give me, give me 30 seconds and we'll move to the other part. But Trey Williams, again, we, we did like 400 VMO uh, squats, uh, body weight. I had a bunch of other players there. We did, I think they did 1500 between them and I, he would have done close to 500 because he was going a lot faster. He was a lot better at that simple exercise than the other guys who were also playing for Australia in, in rugby. So it was clearly there. We did hundred kilo chain squats and he made it look like an empty bar, just absolutely flew and you can see that on instagram as well um yep. so i can say for sure that even for heavier athletes and not everybody wants to dunk right some people want to run over the top of other guys and they want contact and they were like this works just as well if we're thinking about lifting yeah, massive weight if you're a weight lifter power lifter yep it's it's yeah, a foundation movement i can dunk from a squat which is muscle you know what i mean yeah. but yeah i was able to build that muscle because of the tendon so you bulletproof the tendon then you can yeah. do whatever the heck you want with your muscles if yeah. i'm criticized for anything it's that i'm like too skinny or whatever dude i've been playing basketball for the last 20 years like i've been running miles and like anyways i'm still gonna prove those guys wrong and get freaking jacked over the next 10 years too but um because you can you can build muscle and get freaky elastic and bulletproof at the same time but your lifts have to be tendon dominant you still can work them up to maximum weights you still can do that but how long is a career why don't we have studies on this the same way in a lot of fields we don't have studies because 
there's not enough time in college. People reach out and they're like, dude, the ATG system has changed my life. My professor gives me eight weeks to do a study. How the heck do I test the ATG system in eight weeks? You don't. Academia is different than science. Science is bulletproof your tendons, strengthen your tendons, thicken your tendons, and you can go find what you're truly capable of. That's science. That takes time. You know, my transformation occurred over roughly 10 years, you know, and now it's only going to, it's only going to get, get better. I'm going to be more athletic in my forties than my thirties because of the concepts here. So I think we got that home. You know, I think we should spend another 60 seconds here, just simplifying, you know, just making sure that anyone listening, these concepts can be, this can be a lot to take in at once, it's applies, but, but it applies to everybody. It's so, it's so universal that, you know, it, we're talking a lot about athletes as well. And I, I don't want you to my feel that at 67. Yeah, exactly. yeah. But crazy. She she's flying. She's, she's fast. Yeah. But her style of lifting is tendon dominant. So this yeah. is, here would be my last conclusion, would just be that the stumbling block of longevity, just the stumbling block of training itself is how do we train tendon dominant without pain? And that's why we use these unique, awkward looking, blah, blah. It's because we're trying to train tendon dominant without pain. So that's the trick. I look forward to every workout because I know I don't have to work through any pain. I'm sipping my pre-workout right now because I know the moment we're done with this podcast, I can't wait to go do my ATG split squats. I can't wait for every workout. I've never looked forward to training more, but an interesting point on that is that I only train for about 30 minutes a day. So I think that's also part of the, the tendon. You know, if you look at the tendon equation, tendons, this was, I, I needed to mention this. So a tendon, I mentioned it needs less blood. So since it needs like less oxygen, it doesn't tire out as much, all that. It also takes longer to recover. So we, we go pretty moderate with this stuff. Um, could you do more? You absolutely could. But I mean, I'm having a heck of a heck of a ride on these 30 minute sessions. So it's kind of like with the tenants, we should start with the least that we need to do and get really good training sessions rather than trying to just, you know, over overdo it all at once. So that's why, you know, I, I live it three times a week, squat low and knee over toe one time a week, jump and land high, which right now my exercise of choice is five sets of 10 Maasai jumps. I'm just trying to jump like the Maasai. I'm just jumping as high as I can. Like how simple is this for a jumping drill? Jump as high as you can. When you hit the ground, jump back as high as I can. Man, every time I do that, my body's like, oh yeah, you want more of this? I got you. And I'm doing it barefoot because we've been talking about tendons this whole time. Those tendons start in the feet like crazy. I think we're right about our half hour. I forgot to time it exactly. So yeah. I think we're right about our half hour that we wanted to cover this topic, but the whole feet, I think we could dive into that next week or, you know, it's just the feet is a massive deal. And if you're also doing traditional lifts, you're not working through your feet. So you're missing the tendons, you know, right out of the gate with the feet, then you're missing the Achilles tendon and, you know, all right. So hopefully that just, you know, hopefully it's really ingrained in everyone's mind, working through pain, heading in the wrong direction, overdoing it, heading in the wrong direction. It's okay to start over at what you can do, knee over toe, low, you know? And if you are gonna do something which is optional, like my mom doesn't do plyos and she was like, it was so cool. I got to go out there and just sprint and I knew I would be fine, you know, even though she doesn't practice those things. So you don't, you don't have to, I didn't get to dunking from practicing dunking. I actually got to dunking from changing my tendons and went out and my friends were like, dude, I think you could dunk. And I, and I, I could, so I found out that I could dunk.
And now I still just do it once a week. So let's dive into part two of the podcast, breaking down, you know, an important question. I would like to cover the question that I wanted to break down first, only because it segues just right, right off of this, which is conditioning. If you look through my Instagram, I don't talk about conditioning at all, but conditioning was absolutely one of my strengths on the basketball court, the ability to perform better longer. Um, I break it down right off this last topic, bulletproof your tendons. If you're never in pain, you're never going to go through that cycle of getting out of shape in the first place. And now if you have bulletproof tendons, you can pursue your athleticism. The most conditioned guys I ever played with, it was an illusion. They're just the most athletic guys. The game was just easier. Michael Jordan used to play the most minutes, seemed the most conditioned. The guy was the most elastic on the court. Every single motion of the game was easier for him. And the only thing that wore him down was teams who would put stronger players and wear him into the post. So it's still the same thing. The game became harder for him if he's now having a stronger guy. So the ultimate you could be would have been Michael Jordan and gaining muscle in an even more tendon dumb so you see it's you, you can't escape there's no absolutes here someone could take me down in the post who weighs 300 pounds and i would get really exhausted i'd hold up better than most short guys because i'd be able to get low and use those leg muscles but the concept is still the same i would be the weaker of the athlete but if i'm faster than the guy i matched up with he's going to look out of shape so i mean that's literally my conditioning philosophy Part one, bulletproof your tendons. Part two, with those bulletproof tendons, now pursue your true athleticism. Get faster. If you're not faster than the other guy, fuck conditioning. Oh, I said I was going to do only NPR. We got to scratch that F-bomb. All right. <laughs> and then number, you can and then number three, and then number three, if you still insist on conditioning, use a sled. Keep it to like a five-minute session or something with your sled. And, and you can knock yourself the heck out while getting blood flow to the tendons. Whether you go forward or backward on a sled, it forces you to get your knee over your toe and strengthen. What are you also doing on a sled? Not a flat-footed lift anymore. You're pushing through the toes and the feet. So you're working your foot tendons, your Achilles tendons, your knee tendons. So that's it. Like if someone wants to be conditioned, are you bulletproof enough? Are you faster than the other player? And are you using a sled for your conditioning? Or you, here's the, here's the, just like we said, squat low jump high but the status quo what i was trained in i was trained in jump low squat shallow same with conditioning i was trained in i was trained in the opposite of run a long time versus now i'm saying be faster than the other guy that you're competing against don't i was trained in wear your tendons down to get conditioned now i'm saying build your tendons up to get conditioned as long as the other guy is springier than you, more elastic than you, you're going to appear out of shape, but you might be like, what the heck? I have a great VO2 max or blah, 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 blah. You know what I mean? Anyways, I've been going way too much. So you have a ton of experience with conditioning. Who are the most conditioned players you coach? Who, you know what I mean? Break down conditioning. Yeah. A couple of thoughts here, Ben. I think there's a big truth here that we missed. And I think there's, uh, there's something there. Like I actually do think you did a lot of conditioning and you know you did a lot of conditioning but you did it by doing you playing your sport right like you this saw is how the, hard i play if yeah. i play harder this week guess what happens next week if i play harder than you this week i'm in better shape than you next week but if i'm injured i can't play as hard so yeah i i think you're i think you're on the money with that and so that's the thing if someone's listening to this and they don't have a sport then the, the equation is a bit different. The equation is a bit different for this. They may want to do some more conditioning or find a sport or, you know, find some fun ways to, to do some work that, that is going to work on these qualities. 
sled. I, I, I believe you could. Um, so what I do is I've simplified it down. I just sprint because I'm not playing because of Corona and a baby and this and that and, and moving. So I don't get to like play against people. Right. So once a week I sprint and once a week I do these elastic Maasai jumps, five sprints, five sets of 10 elastic jumps only once a week. I want to do it every day. I make myself just do it once a week. And I do my, I do my ROKP five minutes before sessions, Monday, Wednesday, Friday. And I push it like till I'm having, you know, an out of body experience, you know? And so like, that's a good baseline recipe right there. Then, you know, the, the sport would be a separate thing, but I think that's a pretty good baseline recipe. hundred percent. And you know, if you're, as you progress through ATG and you get faster and you become more efficient and your tendons work, then whatever you go and do, you're going to be more efficient at, and you know, you're going to feel lighter and springier and able to go for longer. That component of specificity is still there though. So, you know, if maybe for Ben with basketball, having played for so long, he's going to be conditioned, but if Ben was to go and play rugby or to go and play soccer, he might feel a little bit out of condition and yep. not much that you can do in the swimming pool or in the weight room or in the boxing ring or whatever is going to make him feel ready to swim. Or if he goes in boxes and we make him spar with someone who knows what they're doing, he's going to be gassed. You go and wrestle. He's going to be gassed. I'm going to be working too hard. Now, yeah. What happens when you're never hurt and all these things, you get to get really skilled at your sport. You get to achieve better positionings on the court on, in the sport. Now, some people think of skill and they only think of shooting the ball or whatever. They don't realize, like I've coached a lot of slow athletes. Their body is not doing what Michael Jordan's body was doing. You have to reteach them how to play defense. You have to reteach them how to do a jab move because their body, they're not actually handling the forces in the right places. So every time they go practice, they're actually getting less skilled. They're training what the top players are not doing. So skill is also what you're doing with your body. Skill is not just, can you kick accurately? You see what I mean? Skill is also when you do your move, where does your foot step versus where does Michael Jordan's foot step? So I'm also a huge fan. If you want to be, if you want to tie into conditioning, Take a player that you want to play like and study them for at least 100 hours in slow motion. So that's how I got really good in recent years at basketball. I've spent 100 hours watching Michael Jordan in slow motion. So I watch plays where he succeeded against defenders or whatever. And I watch it in slow, you know, at 25% speed. So now I start learning those tricks and then I can just gas people on the court because I have no wasted motions. I know what I'm doing. They're always reacting to what I'm doing when I have the ball. So I'm playing... I'm playing with a different strategy and I know where to put my feet and my knees can handle those pressures. So most people can't even, most people don't even have knees to handle the moves Michael Jordan was doing. They actually, their knees are too weak. Their tendons are too weak. It doesn't mean they don't have a big enough box squat or a deadlift. In fact, I've trained many guys who could probably deadlift and box squat more than Michael Jordan could, but they can't actually handle the exact positions he was in on the court. I love that, you know, and I think that's what we need to condition. I think this is really, really important message for people to take home is skill is, is the best conditioning, but to, to, to train skill, right. Therefore to condition, right. 
you have to really know your sport and, and get in around the best coach, being around the best athletes, you know, studying, knowing your craft. I've been listening to John Danaher recently. He's creating a new dynasty in BJJ and UFC. I don't really watch that stuff, but I'm interested in what the top coaches are doing and thinking. And their guys are training seven days a week in this high skilled sport like chess. And I guarantee you, they're not flogging themselves with conditioning on the side. I know like they do some strength work. Um, there's a guy there, um, Gordon Ryan, who's, who's, uh, he's, he's, he's like 25 and he's crushing everybody. And you normally don't go well in BJJ until you're like in your thirties. So he's like a genius in terms of movement. And then he does his strength work um, in the, in the evenings and he really values his, his, his strength work as well. But you know, that's the thing with soccer players as well, the basketball players, like, at some point you've got to spend a lot more time doing things better. You know, there was a guy in hockey, I used to play hockey and there was a player who had the keys to this. When I found out he had the keys to the field. And so he was able to get there and practice more than anyone else. And he was like, he went to the Olympics multiple times, won a gold medal. And he kind of set a new tone of professionalism for the sport. And I met him when I was maybe like 19, 20. And that, that changed everything for me, but I didn't have the tissue tolerance to train as much as I wanted to train or even the underlying health. I was taking on way too many carbs and it was messing with my blood sugar. And uh, like, I just, I just didn't deal with high volume of training, but if you can get your health right and you can get this relative strength, tendon strength, then, then you can go on condition, which we mean, what we mean by conditioning is practice your skill so that you are so good at it. I think people don't know this about you, Ben, but you were absolutely fanatical with skill development. They don't see you doing it now, but maybe talk a little bit about like what you actually did to get good at basketball. Well, I mean, one of the cool things is that, and I got this as like a general rule of thumb from Charles Poliquin, that it takes six times longer to gain a quality than to keep it, right? So you know, how many, how much bench press does it take to build a world-class powerlifting bench? But then you, you know, but then they could, you know, a powerlifter could bench, you know, and keep a pretty high number without even doing it that frequently in terms of keeping it right. So it's the same thing with skill. So you can really identify yourself, buckle down on the skills you need, and then it's very easy to maintain but I did it like you. So I did it out of sequence. So I look at, oh my God, Kobe Bryant's practicing six hours a day. All right. I'm going to practice six hours a day. Okay. Kobe Bryant was dunking between his legs at age 18. Okay. Kobe Bryant was already genetics already made him as athletic as he needed to be. So now when an athlete comes to me who can't even dunk and they're wanting to know if they should practice their skills for six hours, And they're already pretty skilled. It's like, if we put you on a chart, that's just not your weakest link right now. But bulletproofing yourself is the cheat code. I mean, here's even a different example. Um, I'll have to video this sometime because something that people don't know about me is I I can throw a basketball equally hard with either hand. So I can take two basketballs. And if you've ever seen Will Ferrell in the movie Elf, I look like Will Ferrell throwing like like people like what like like and i've trained nba guys they can't pass a basketball like i can so but i only where those veins come from i think those those veins that you got popping out here i think that comes from your from your side was i think because the right side was basketball throws the right side was skilled and the left side didn't know what it was doing so it had to use the muscles more and so now i've got veins in my left arm anyways um but i'm actually starting to get some in the right one no the, the reason the right one didn't my right side didn't build up the same because I had such nasty tendonitis in the elbow. 
tendonitis in the shoulder. So like my delts like didn't form. And yeah, so inhibition doesn't matter how much you train it. If it's inhib inhibited, it's not going to grow. Exactly. And so what's funny is I got to the point where I could only practice my passes once a week because my shoulders would be in so much pain. So that's just kind of a point. Now, here's what I did. That's when I found out about the external rotation. And now honest truth be told over the last 10 years, I did so little upper body. It's absolutely absurd. I did train my external rotators. And so my shoulders, I can bash my shoulders and they don't hurt just because I became, you know, essentially tendon dominant in the shoulders. So that was the point I wanted to make though, is that even in something in the upper body, I could only practice the skill up to the point of pain. Now, now I could have said, Oh, I'll practice my behind the back pass at a low intensity, right? Or whatever. So you could still do these little dinky skills. There's dinky skills. And then there's the skills that are more force. So that's kind of the difference. There are so many players. They've squashed things down to the dinky skills and drills, but they can't actually put their body in the right positions. So that, that was an example, even in my shoulders, I didn't even think, I didn't even know what a shoulder problem was, started working on my passing and eventually it hit a, it hit a stopping point. Now for basketball, that was fine. But what if I was trying to be a professional baseball player? Maybe it would have stopped at 80 miles an hour because at a certain point, my shoulder hurt too much. So that's the thing. If you're not Kobe Bryant, if your dad wasn't in the NBA as well, maybe your tendons are not going to be where they need to be to practice six hours. But here, that's where the cheat code is. So the cheat code of conditioning is never being hurt. And so I see so many guys on it. They go on a cycle of getting hurt, getting out of shape, conditioning in a way that wears down the tendons. So then they get hurt again, never connecting the dots, never coming close to their genetic potential. Let's face it without this shit, I would have just been, you know, my dad never grabbed the rim. His dad probably never grabbed the rim. It would have been like a family tradition, you know? So, um, yeah, I was, yeah, I was, I was one of the slowest guys as well, you know, in a, in a sport that wasn't very athletic, I was one of the slowest guys and I became one of the fastest guys and, and adding to the conditioning, you know, I, I ran, I think the third fastest time running for the state team for the, the national, like the state team, there's only five states, uh, key states in Australia. Um, I ran one of the third, third fastest time as a junior main in the senior team, right? So I went from the worst to one of the best. I made that team against the odds and I had the best conditioning because I, we were still on the beep test and I was always you know, right near the top. I was behind the Australian players and they were faster than me. And I knew I had to get faster if I was going to run the 16, 17 beep tests. So I ran a high 15, 15, 11. Um, and the only reason I was able to go from the 13 to 15 beep was because it was less intensity to run those first 10 levels because I was running at 70% instead of running at 80, 90% to try and keep up. And that's exactly the concept. Well, you know, that, yeah. hadn't broken down yet, you know? Yeah. So we all yeah. have a little window in there where maybe we can make that jump before things go south, but where are we going to, how long is our career going to be? So even with the young athlete, if I would have had you train like this, it could have, you could have just gone better and better. And so that's kind of the trick of it. What makes results this year is very different than actually finding out your potential long-term. But that's but important even, as well for yeah. people listening. Like, you know, this, this can really change a lot over the course of a few years. Like, and it definitely took me a few years. It wasn't like as soon as I started training, but, as, but with strength work, like it, it did make a huge difference in this and I wasn't doing it right. So I did have knee pain through a lot of this. Um, I did have other injuries, but uh, it, the strength training still turned me from a terrible athlete to a, you know, dominant one in an unathletic sport. Um, but 
I love that concept of like, you have to have the buy-in of quality to deserve your conditioning. People are talking about like, oh, should I do long, slow conditioning to lower my resting heart rate and stuff? Like you don't, you don't deserve that. You know, you, you need to have, if, you know, if the athleticism isn't there, then you need to get that there. If your weak link is skill and you play soccer or you play basketball, you can't shoot, you can't dribble, etc. Then of course you need to push that. Like, so it's what the weakest link is, uh, but that athletic buy-in needs to be there. So, you know, to be able to work on enduring, there has to be something worth enduring. This is a concept I used to talk about to people. Like if, if the first one's not great, don't give me 10 of them, <laughs> you know, let's just keep working on that first one, rest up, do another good one. And even with chin-ups, you know, I, I would work with like that with the players. I would make them line up behind each other and do one at a time because like that, I would get one really good rep and it wouldn't challenge their egos. I would say, you know, give me your best rep here. And I would tell them exactly what I was looking for rather than saying, you know, how many chin-ups can you do? And you get this thing that's like, no, please stop. You know, I don't want to watch that. You know, and so that's the concept for conditioning as well. Like practice exactly what you want. It's, it's a skill. There, there is no conditioning as far as, you know, athletic development goes in, you know, that, that's we, we, made, that far. we made it simple. So it starts with the tendon. The tendon enables the muscle and then the tendon and the muscle enable, well, now what are you going to do with it? I had just in the last two weeks, I had two different success stories on either end of the pole. One guy successfully ran one of those 100 kilometer distance runs and he couldn't believe it. His knees didn't hurt. Totally broke through a plateau on a 100 kilometer run. The other guy broke through a huge plateau and did a 1000 pound powerlifting squat. So they were doing the same things in training. So they were training their ATG movements. So we had a little technical difficulty there. I'm having to go back from my phone. Um, we're somewhere around that, that one hour mark. And we had really kind of simplified down here, going from tendon to muscle to then, to then what you want to do with that. So um, I think since we've been going so long, we should probably just kind of, uh, you know, shore up the, this topic that we've covered today, since it really ended up kind of going into just one thing, you know? The purpose of the podcast isn't for PR. It's to talk about whatever's like the most pressing thing. And then next week we could take up something very different along the lines of, you know, the coaching question that you were going to take up. Cool. Yeah, I think we got so much. There's so much, you know, clarity and value I think, in what we shared there around, you know, the tendon power to weight ratio and then just really using refining your skill as, as the main conditioning with, with, with some sled work, some really hard stuff to kind of top it up. But um, I wish I had have understood this, you know, in my teens, it would have definitely made a huge difference. And I think as coaches, if we can get this style of, you know, training across this message across, it can just have a huge impact. Like let's just have awesome power to weight ratio in the right muscles and tendons, have that health there. And, you know, great things are going to happen on the back of that. We don't have to go crazy fancy with anything beyond that to get to extreme levels. Now, maybe to break world records, maybe there is like, you know, maybe there are some other things, but maybe not either, you know, like just being able to healthily go at your sport is, is such a huge yeah. thing. Plus, I mean, the VMO squat that I said was like my number one choice for the NBA was like a 20 rep VMO squat per those, per only like dumbbell or kettlebell loading. Yeah, but I, you know, but we progressed that to a five rep where you work up to a five rep set you're happy with, you know what I mean? So these concepts can still go. The, the problem is we're just kind of doing everything backwards. So we're, 
we're practicing all our skills on top of weak muscles on top of even weaker tendons. So then, but the, but the top athletes were built the other way around. They had the tendons. So then the muscles kind of developed, right? Exactly. So then they could, so then they could keep working on their skills. Michael yeah. Jordan didn't become Michael Jordan at age 16. It's because he was able, he was able to keep improving. Whereas someone else I had already practiced. I mean, Michael Jordan didn't even start playing basketball very early. So by the time he even started, you know, taking basketball seriously, I already had chronic knee pain, you know, so my, my tendons were already shot. So the muscles didn't form. Right. So then eventually I couldn't even work on my skills. So I actually kind of got less, I kind of lost some edge on my skills, the worst, you know, as my knees got worse and worse and worse. So anyways, it's, uh, that's our job, busting myths, but making things simple, things people can apply. So even if, even if all someone took from this from my end, so, so my conclusion is kind of like, even if all you took on my end was VMO squats at your pain-free level, a hundred reps once a week. I don't care if that's one set of 100, five sets of 20 or 10 sets of 10 for time. We use all three of those protocols, but it's a hundred VMO squats a week can, can change your freaking life. That, that would be the simplicity of it. And then, you know, uh, my, my, you know, my program is based on that, that simple formula, pain-free strengthening of the tendons and pain-free strengthening in a tendon dominant way. And uh, yeah, squat low, jump high and, and see what you can make of yourself. Don't jump low and, and squat high. If you had a second movement, would it be the Nordic? Probably would because now for the posterior chain, that's the most tendon dominant posterior chain exercise. And again, the one that the freak athletes can do, whether they've ever done a deadlift or a power clean, right? So uh, yeah, the, the second would be, the second would be, oh, you want to be a pro athlete? You are a pro athlete, buy a Nordic bench right now, put it in your house and work on that five sets of five, once a week, five sets of five Nordic once a week, uh, hundred reps on the VMO squat once a week. Those are part of the ATG system. Only in zero, do we have to kind of undercut beginner zeros, like an undercut to that stuff to even get into that stuff. But, but after that, every point from there, we never, we never lose that as part of the formula. Every, every program is going to have that. Love it. What, what about you? What's your, if this was yeah. your last, you know, your last words, the last podcast you were able to do and you yeah. had to make an, and you had to make an impact on coaches for me, I'm, I'm trying to make an impact on the 12 year old me with knee pain. You're trying to make an impact on the coach. No offense. Who told you that you couldn't be fast. You know what I mean? Uh, you're trying to make an impact on coaches. And of course we're, we're both doing it for both, but it helps that we get to kind of live these roles. So you're, what, what's, you know, your last words you get to say to coaches, what do you say? Yeah, I, th I think it is as, as strength coaches, right? Because as you say, a lot of this 10 work is going to be done on the court. We just need to make sure those tenants have the ability to absorb a lot of force. The way we're going to help those tenants have the ability to absorb a lot of force is to have relative strength in those muscles that are next to them, bring circulation to that area, make that area really healthy in the sequential way. Like this is the ATG principles. You know, it's on my YouTube. Ben is laying it out. Like we know exactly how to do this. 
And coaches are saying over and over again, like this works for the knee, but it also works for every other joint. It works for the shoulders. It works for the elbows. You know, it works for the higher hamstring tendonitis. And we're going to talk more about these different topics because we get these questions coming in all the time. The principles work exactly the same. Let's have phenomenal relative strength in exactly the places where we need it. And then let's go and build, build phenomenal skill, you know, but we have that foundation to go and build the skill and be able to execute the movement patterns. You can't execute the movement patterns if you're protecting your knees and you can't, you know, you, you're scared of all the positions that you need to get into, then there's, there's no point working on the, on the skills at that point. So yeah, that's the, that's the big message for me is, you know, when you have that relative strength in each area, that's how you gradually get the tendon to the point where it can take those crazy forces that Ben's tendons can take. Now you watch him and you think there's no way I could ever do that. It, it is sequential. The, the rhythm is there. And that is the magic of the ATG system. If I'm, you know, if I'm not here tomorrow, the message that I would like to leave and what I've been putting so much energy into the last couple of years is having people understand there is magic in this sequence and the concept of going from short to long. And, and it, it's, it is something different that, no one else is putting out there that I was searching for for 20 years. I saw Ben had it, Ben's sharing it. It's cheap. You know, it's for free on my YouTube, my explanation of it, but, you know, wrestle with this concept until you make it your own is what I would say, you know, for, for every coach out there, every athlete out there, because it's, yeah, it opens up a whole new possibility where you're not scared of hurting yourself anymore. You can see how fearless Ben is, you know, and that's exactly what it does. And you touched on a huge point there which I hadn't quite said. So just to clarify for anyone who may have missed that, we're strengthening in these muscles around the joints. Like a, like a Nordic is a hamstring exercise, but it really pulls there behind the knee. So the stronger that muscle is, the more than the, the tendon can strengthen. So it's kind of like the, the less the muscle there can handle your tibialis, your why are we doing these knee over toe calf raises and stuff? Yeah, like we're training the muscle, but it's the muscle right there with that tendon so now the tendon can develop more and get stronger. So it's, it's really, it's, it's having them work together. So it's, it's tendon dominant muscular strengthening, which you can recover from that relatively fast. We can work that three times a week. So you can't get to the tendon. You can't get to the tendon without the, like, that's the secret of the ATG system. You get to the tendon through the muscle and yes, the magic ends up being in the tendon and we have this tendon dominant muscular strength, but initially people will be so scared of it. If you've got that high hamstring tendonitis, you can't do the RDL, you can't do the Nordic. Yep. We know how to get you to that. And you know that's the magic of the yeah. system. So. Yeah, so we're, we're talking about measurable strength, not just mythically, like, do I feel good or do I not? It's like you, you literally aren't strong enough to do something and, and then you actually get strong enough. And yeah, then, then the sport becomes easy. Life, life becomes easy. I, I'm I'm more excited for the longevity process now because I, I keep feeling better. I keep, I keep rewinding things. So coaching becomes easy. Thank you yep. so much for the opportunity. Yep. I'm, I'm already excited for next week. You know, in our coaching chat that we have, we're going to have a, a thousand messages by the time next week and we'll have something, you know, just as important to talk about. So thanks for listening, Keegan. Thanks for being on. Thanks for being my mentor and helping push me and, and push ATG and, Hopefully everyone who listened to this got some clarity there on tendon, then muscle, then what do we do with it? You've changed the way we all train, Ben. Thank you very much. Thanks, bro. All right. See ya.